The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. I, I really hope that you had a great Christmas. I hope that yesterday you had a meaningful time I hope that Christmas Eve, maybe you were here with us, maybe not, but I hope you've had a meaningful Christmas. Um, my wife got me a couple of different gifts and my favorite one, to be honest, is a calendar of Gary Larson Farsight. Anybody remember? Like, it was, it's been forever since I've seen anything modern from the far side. You know, it was like at a publication maybe or something. And so she literally surprised me. She said, I found it. Um, it was at Costco. And so here's, so I was really excited about that. The other thing that she got me that I was, uh, I'm not sure excited is the right word about it, but she got me basically a cardigan with an undershirt and she goes, that's gonna look really good on you. And she goes, because I saw it on a Hallmark movie and the guy looked really good. So <laughs> I'm like, what, what do you do with that information? Like, come on, I, I'm not sure. So listen, in the next few weeks at some point, I'm gonna wear it on a Sunday and you'd be like, oh, there it is. That's the one. So please compliment me. Just even if I look stupid, just be like, you look like a Hallmark movie. Okay, so just anyway, uh, just so you know, but uh, Hey, we're gonna be in Colossians chapter two and John 15 here this morning. And um, we'll, we'll get to that here in just a moment. It's a weird day to bring up what I'm about to bring up, but I'm a lawn guy. Um, I've, I've said it before. You probably maybe already knew that because I've said it. And I blame my uncle who's sitting right here because I used to mow his lawn um, back in the, the late 80s, early 90s up in North Marysville. And I always loved making the stripes or making a pattern so it looked like a golfing green and all that. But I'm a lawn guy and um, I've prided myself on having a nice lawn and landscape. And, uh, and, and like I said before, part of making it look good is you mow one way and then you mow the other way and it looks like T-Mobile Field out in Seattle. So I always think that's fun. But of course, um, where we live, of course, today is a good example of it, but where we live, you're pretty much done mowing by, you know, what, late October, maybe mid-November, depending on how the weather goes. Um, and so you're, you're kind of finished. The, the, the point, you know, when uh, we, we don't continue mowing when it stops growing is kind of my rhyme for the remembering. So uh, just kidding. That was, I'm, a, I'm a middle school math teacher when it comes to jokes. So, yeah, I got you, Josh. I got you, Mr. Nisinger. Yeah, me and you. Me and you. So you want cheesy jokes, just come find us. But uh, anyways, um, and, and so you're done with it. And, and some of us, by the way, some of you, I'm not this way, but some of you who have super organized garages or whatever, you, you have when the season is over, you put away the lawn stuff and you have bins and you have racks and, and you put away the sunscreen and you even go to your closet or go to your drawers and, and put all your summer clothes away and then you get out your, your fall or your winter clothing, and that's how organized you are. I'm not that way, but um, maybe you are. And so that's kind of what we do is when we're done with it in, in that season, you know, it's, it's finished and we put it away. And then we get out the Christmas type stuff or the decorations that are winter, which, which just a little tip here. Uh, if you want to decorate the, in a way that lasts longer than just Christmas, then winter. So, so choose things that aren't just Santas and things like that. Um, and then you have way less work to do on December 27th or whenever your season kind of winds down for Christmas. Um, and, and so I, I bring it up because for many of us, we put away certain decorations seasonally and here we are and it's December 26th and you maybe got your stuff out right at Thanksgiving or you're the one that like right after Halloween, you get out your Christmas stuff or whatever the dates look like, but you spend you know a certain amount of time, maybe it's eight weeks or six weeks or four weeks or whatever, um, celebrating this season. 
And part of what goes along with celebrating this season, especially for many of us who connect to Christ and, and, and you know, we have faith in Jesus, is that we remember the birth of Christ. And so even on Christmas Eve, we read a bunch of the Christmas story. Our family actually last night read through the Christmas story and we each took portions and kind of went around and, and read different portions of it and talked a bit about sort of our favorite highlights of the Christmas story as a family. Um, and that's great. And, and there's even points where, and maybe it's happened on a Christmas Eve in a gathering, or maybe you personally in a prayer time, or at some point during a Sunday gathering, that, that you, you know, heard something and, and, and began to realize something a little bit different, something new, something that changed a perspective. And that's great. But what happens is we might reshuffle priorities. We might think, you know, coming into a new year, which we're just less than a week away from, where things are going to be different, things are going to be better. I'm going to make certain commitments. We call them resolutions sometimes. But um, we look at it and go, I'm, I'm excited about that. But then similar to how we decorate for the season or we get done with lawn stuff in the fall, we put it all away and we kind of move on. And I say it and it's something that we know, but I want to bring the challenge to all of us. And by the end of today, there's a little bit of homework that I'm going to have for you. But, but what happens is when we put away the, the, the manger scene and we put away all the Christmas stuff, sometimes what we do is we lose focus on a certain spiritual dynamic that God would tell us to be reminded of regularly. And Paul says it, like I said, in Colossians chapter two, specifically when you look at verse six through seven, it starts out with this. And again, Paul's writing to this church. I've mentioned many times the, the, the letters we have, we call Corinthians and Galatians and Colossians are letters to churches in certain cities or regions. And Colossae was a city that he wrote to after having established a church there. In chapter two, Verses six and seven, it says this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And so when, when Paul jumps in there, and like I said, we'll get to John 15 here in a moment. When, when, when Paul jumps in here, he's saying, hey, this whole idea of understanding Christ, of understanding the gospel and, and committing ourselves to the work of Christ that you and I can find forgiveness and build the right kind of life, Paul says, don't just stop there. Don't, don't just, just, you know, I've said before, sometimes we pray a prayer and that's good. We raise our hand and we invite Jesus in. And I've said before, that's the most important decision that we can make. But Paul's point to the church in Colossae, and by the way, this was something that is a theme throughout his letters, is the reminder of, okay, you put Christ on the throne of your lives, you, you, you said yes to him. You believed on the message of Jesus, but every church, his concern was, is it an ongoing relationship with Christ or was it sort of this one-time thing? Because if it's a one-time thing, we're missing all that God has in store all throughout our life's journey. So he says, just as, similar to just as, if I were to put it in, in, in you know, 2021 today, Christmas and, and that season, just as you remembered Jesus in a manger, just as you read about Mary and Joseph and Matthew in particular talks about the prophecies from the Old Testament and all these things that go, wow, this whole Messiah thing is amazing. Just as you were reminded of it during what we call the Christmas season, continue with that mindset. Continue to be connected to and built up in that faith because God's not done with you yet. And so it's a great reminder for all of us. I love how he says, just as you received, continue. It's an ongoing, it's a daily, it's a progressive and transformational journey. I, I don't 
I don't say take notes because everything I say is so profound, but I do encourage you to, to take notes. I, I do encourage you to, to consider this idea that for you and I, this life in faith is an ongoing, transformational, progressive journey. And it's something that we need to not forget because it's easy to go, well, I prayed the prayer, I believe in Jesus, I'm good. And there's a lot of people that do that. And yet, when Paul is saying it to really all of the churches at certain points, when you read Corinthians or you read Galatians or Philippians or Ephesians or whatever it would be in Colossians, continue. And then he uses this phrase, rooted and built up in him. John 15 puts it this way. And again, these are pretty popular verses, things that people have heard many times, but I want you to stop and really process these words. Get your mind away from all the other things going on and think about these things. Um, these are in red letters. If you read John 15, and you have a red letter edition of, of the Bible. Um, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, and this is a big deal, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, uh, thrown into the fire and burned. If you, verse seven, remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, proving or showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, verse nine, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, but to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I have learned from the father I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. We could spend months on these verses. We could literally break down phrase by phrase, verse by verse, all the details of this text here because Jesus is saying something incredibly important. But one of the themes that comes out in all these verses is this idea of remaining in me. Remember, Paul said that, that we ought to continue in Christ rooted and built up. The idea of rooted is what? A plant growing, a bush, a tree growing, and the roots going down into the soil and gathering strength and nutrients from what's there, water and, and the nutrients in the soil. So Jesus, before Paul ever came along as a follower, he was a Pharisee before this, or at the point Jesus is saying that Paul was a training in becoming a Pharisee. And so... Jesus says for you and I, similar to what Paul says, Paul says, continue, Jesus says, remain. And if you notice, and it might've sounded a little annoying, but I, he says it over and over, remain in me. If you remain in me, if you don't remain in me, but you need to remain in me. So do yourself a favor and remain in me. Anybody tired of hearing it, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's like, he keeps saying it. What's his point? It's, it's abide. 
It, it literally means for you and I exist within the context of, of life through the lens of faith in me all the time. And so for you and I, we know this is not a Sunday to Sunday religious thing. This isn't a, a, a Sunday resharpening so I can eventually get to heaven. This is an ongoing and daily relationship with Christ that continues, like I said earlier, that transformational progressive journey in him. And so as you and I look at our lives, now is one of the great times to do that. If you have a window of time, maybe between the holidays, your, 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 your company shuts down. I know Boeing is one of those where you get some time off during the holidays. Other companies do that, um, shut down between the holidays. It's a time to maybe step back, slow down, and reflect. It's something similar to what I said on Christmas Eve. But for you to stop and consider the whole idea of, when I look back on my life, where are the mile markers where my faith has is, is been engaged? When I look back on my life, am I more like Christ today than I was six months ago or maybe a year ago or maybe two years ago? It's an exercise that I've done for years and it is fun to look back and, 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 and consider as far as how you're living and, and, and the things that you're doing and the transformation that's happening, am I more like Christ today than I was a while back? When Jesus says remain, the word is abide. In the message version of verse seven, I love how it says this, make yourselves at home with me and my words at home in you. Did you catch that? Make yourself at home. Make yourself at home. When you think of a home, if a home is what it's intended to be, it's a sanctuary away from the craziness of the world. A home, when it's created as it's intended to be, is a place where you can find rest and solace. And, and, and I know some of you might be looking at me going, you don't understand, my home's chaos, my home's crazy, my home's whatever. I, I honestly, I wanna challenge every one of us to consider when Jesus talks about home. And I know on one hand, we have, we have this eternal home in heaven and, and Paul talks about that in Corinthians, that hey, we have an eternal home in heaven, we're waiting in anticipation for that, great. But the idea of making yourself at home when Jesus says it, is a safe place, is a place where we can unravel ourselves. And I mean that in the best way. A place where we can let our guards down. A place where we can find the safety of being ourselves. Home. Make yourself at home in Christ. All the walls down. God, here's who I really am and you know me anyways. I can't hide. I can't put on a facade. I can't act like this or act like that. When you make yourself at home in him, I don't know a better example, but thinking about marriage. Like there's, there's only so long in marriage you can hide who you really are. Because when you live, as I said before, in cl such close proximity to somebody, they're gonna get the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's just a matter of time. So if you're not married, no, okay. Let's, you're like, why would I wanna do that? You just explained it horribly. But, but honestly, that idea of, of, of like home, especially in marriage, home a place where I can be 100% myself in front of my wife and she's willing to see it all and, and encourage me and challenge me. I was challenged this morning by her in a good way. The snow and all that's going on and all the emotions of what's, you know, kind of getting a little anxious about some things and her literally on the drive here trying to talk me off the ledge a little bit. I'm just being honest. But, but it's that idea of, of Make yourself at home in me, Jesus says. Be yourself with me, because here's the beauty of it. 
When we can be ourselves in Christ, then that's when he can work on those things that we're trying to hide. That's when we can allow those things to come to the surface that we feel embarrassed of. And if we understand, as far as followers of Christ, our theology at all, we believe God knows everything anyways. We can't really hide. We can't act like somebody we're not in front of him. Like, I know who you are. And it's not meant for you and I to feel the shame of it. It's meant for you and I to feel the comfort of a God who says, be yourself and let me work on some of these things. But he doesn't reject us. It's one of those verses I've always loved that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He doesn't give up on us. He continues to extend the work of his spirit in us. And so I love, again, the message version of verse seven, make yourself at home with me. And then I love this because it's not over. And my words at home in you. If you've been here for a long time, I'm sure you're tired of me saying it, but it is so unbelievably important, you guys, to have what I would call a daily habit of being in scripture, of reading the word that we don't talk a lot about John, the gospel of John during the Christmas season because it doesn't include much of the Christmas story at all. But it opens with, in the beginning was the word. Do we know who the word is in that context? Jesus. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So when he says, make yourself at home in him, great, Lord, here I am, all the good, the bad, and the ugly. But then the challenge of, and make your words at home, make my words at home in you where our lives don't line up with some of the things he talks about. As I go back to uh, Friday night on Christmas Eve and talking about the, the, the fruit of the spirit, the evidence of the spirit at work, love, joy, peace, pay, all those words. Making his words at home in us, allowing ourselves to be encouraged by the scriptures, challenged by the scriptures, rebuked by the scriptures. We need that sometimes. In fact, I believe it's 2 Timothy 3.16, if you're taking notes. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you and I will become fully equipped for every good work. See, so it's not just you and I going, okay, God, you know all about me. Here I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I wanna be at home in you. It's inviting his word into our world in a way that continues to course correct when we're off base. Course correct when we believe something that isn't right. Course correct when there's things in our world that aren't as they should be and we go, Lord, deal with that in me. And so that verse right there, verse seven to me is, is huge. But again, he's saying over and over, abide, abide, abide. Remember the seasonal conversation about mowers? Remember that? Okay. We stop using them because there's no need in certain months around here. Right now, I'm not gonna go out and mow my lawn. If you see me out mowing my lawn, like, Call the loony bin, right? Like something's wrong. Or he's trying to prank or he thinks it's funny to throw snow all over. I don't know. But, but it's not true with my car, right? What, what, if I, what if you and I were in the lobby and we were hanging out chatting about life and I said, hey, you know, it's January. I'm, I'm just gonna stop driving. You'd be like, what? You, you would go, well, did your car break down? Did you forget to pay your insurance? Have you not renewed your tabs? Is that why? Like, no, 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 it's just January. I'm done. <laughs> right? You'd be like, what are you talking about? In the same way, again, you'd be like, what's going on here? In the same way for you and I to celebrate Jesus at his birth, for you and I to take from kind of in our world, Thanksgiving to Christmas or right here, December 26th or New Year's or whatever it sort of ends for you, for you and I to take this season to remember and be grateful for all that God has done in Christ beginning, just beginning with the manger, just beginning with the Christmas story, but to, but to sort of set it aside for the rest of the year is... is 
I get, and I would put it this way, and I mentioned marriage a little bit ago. Jesus as Lord is like Heather as my wife. I don't quit her because it's winter. Even if she quits shaving in the off season. Okay, I'm, she doesn't, I just, okay. For those of you online that are gonna make comments right now for her online, she doesn't do that, but somebody I know does do that. Okay, we're gonna keep going. Um, maybe related to her, okay. Um, I know, I'm... I didn't name any names. I didn't have to, huh? I know. <laughs> Why did I do that? I did, that was not in my notes. I should not have said it. So open mouth, insert foot. Open mouth, insert fist of said relative that's going to hate me. Okay. But again, it's that whole like being married isn't like, well, see you after winter and I'll be married again. It's similar like being a dad. It doesn't quit. Well, it's summer. I'll see you in the fall. The, the only way, and I know this is a little sensitive for certain people, the only way that that, that actually happens is, is like in a divorce situation where it's every other weekend and two weeks during the summer. That's not the God we serve. We, we, didn't, we didn't surrender to divorce Jesus. We surrendered to Jesus, our everyday savior, the one that we need moment by moment. I, I was thinking of, anybody seen the movie Grease? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess to you, this is December 26th, I can do this. I'm going to confess to you, for years, my favorite um, Grease movie was Grease 2. I know! I, anybody else out there? Has anybody, how many have seen Grease 2? It's the motorcycle one, right? It's, it's, it's the Michelle Pfeiffer, and I don't even know who else is in it, but um, I, I know. I mean, as a kid, I thought she was cute. I watched Grease 2. I, I, for me, it was like, I love motorcycles. So I was like, ah, oh, it's cool. Anyway, I love, but then you watch Grease 1, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. It's better. But... Um, in Greece, there's a song called Summer Lovin', right? I'm not going to sing it. Yeah. Somebody else, go for it. Okay, no, yeah. No, but, but what, okay, Summer Lovin', but what's the idea? John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, what happens? They meet in the summer when they're doing their sort of separate thing from the school and all that stuff. And, and they kind of have this, this, you know, emotions run high or whatever. And then later on, they, they sort of part ways, although they, of course, I won't give it, it's not a spoiler. You should have seen it by now. Never mind. Um, like, spoiler, spoiler or nothing. You're not going to go watch Grease after this. So but they end up going to the same school unbeknownst to them. But they meet in the summer. And the idea was it's kind of the summer fling. Kind of this summer thing that happens, but then life returns to normal and you go back to your real world where you're in school and you know people and life goes on and it's over, but, but it's different on, in that movie. So, but anyway, my point in bringing it up, because there is a point. <laughs> For them, things get hot and heavy and, and, and all that stuff, but, but then life goes on and it's done. And in some ways, that's what happens in our faith. There's a certain season, and maybe it's not always Christmas, Maybe it's the Easter season, or maybe it's a certain moment in your own life where, where you encountered Christ in a very real way, or you, you had an experience, like I've mentioned before, that I've had, that, that, that I feel like changed the trajectory of my life, but, but it's not meant to be done. Like I said, we didn't surrender to divorce Jesus every other weekend and two weeks of summer. We didn't surrender to, to Christmas fling Jesus either, where, oh, here we are, wow, this is great, and then we move on. Paul says to the church in Colossae, continue to live your lives in him. Continue. Why is it so important? Why is it so important that Jesus says, stay connected to me, abide in me, make your home in me? Why is it so important? I want you to think about that for a second. 
And by the way, if you're online, you're watching, I know a bunch of people are because of the snow. If you're online, I want you to type in why you think it's important before I give away the answer. So type it in. For those in the room, why is it so, don't blurt it out, but why is it so important that Jesus says, abide in me? Just think for a moment. And maybe the answer is easy and you already know it, or maybe you're like, hmm, why is it? The reason it's so important is because Jesus says that you bear much fruit. Remember, part of what he says, which is on the negative side of the remain in me, is if you don't remain in me, you can do nothing. Does he literally mean you can do nothing? I mean, don't people live purposeful lives apart from Christ all the time? To a degree, yes, but when it's apart from Christ, uh, Ecclesiastes, it's meaningless. Because the, the motive isn't what it needs to be. The focus isn't what it needs to be. You can do all kinds of productive things. There are all kinds of people in our world that live all kinds of productive lives and, 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 and do, do work in other countries to help medical and, and construction and feeding programs, all this stuff. But apart from Christ, there's a big portion that's missing. And it's not that those things don't make some kind of difference in our world. But it's this idea of when we're connected to Christ, there's something deeper going on that matters far more. Remain in me, abide in me, that you can bear much fruit. And then there's this one promise that we hear that we go, yeah, I don't know about that. But, but look at verse seven, it says, remain in me. I read the message version of the first part of it. Remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And we're like, well, wait a minute. I mean, isn't that just like a blank slate? Like, well, Lord, I could use a, a Lamborghini. You know, some of you guys are like, no, no, Hummer today, four-wheel drive, you know. Um, that's not the point, by the way. It's not like pray for whatever you want and it's just like the rub the genie and the poof and hey, Jesus, I could use this and this. It's the idea of when you and I live in a place of surrender to Christ, then what happens is our motive and the interior life that, that exists, you know, our soul is in the right place to have the heart to ask for the right things. That it's not this whole, give me whatever I wish, genie in a bottle, Jesus kind of thing. It, it's this idea of when our lives are in that place of surrender, then what we find ourselves asking for has far less to do with us and our pleasures and far more to do with realizing kingdom work in the world. That's real fruit. So it's, it's this picture of bearing much fruit. And then he gives um, some more specifics. As the Father has loved me, listen to this, so I have loved you, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus just said, obey my commands. And immediately, for many people in church world, we move right to, well, he's talking about you and I obeying the 10 commandments. If we obey the commandments, then we're remaining in his love. And that's not what Jesus is saying because in a few moments here, he gets even more specific. This isn't the 10 commandments conversation. And if you've been part of Irresistible, you probably know where I'm going with this. As we, like in Irresistible, we talk about that's not our covenant. 
Okay, if, you're, if you haven't done Irresistible yet in person or if you're online, you haven't done it yet, I wanna challenge you to sign up for it as it's coming up in mid-January again. We're in another round of it because there's a bunch of people I think that really could use going through this. But when we read what Jesus says right here without continuing, we automatically assume we gotta obey those commands. We gotta go back to the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and look at all these different commands and there's the 10, but then there's all these other ones we gotta sort of figure out and pick through as well. And, and what are we supposed to obey here? But Jesus goes on to get very specific and super simplify the whole conversation. Because what he says is this, my command, this is verse 12, my command is this. Everybody say, love each other. other. If you're online, say, love each other. Okay, anyway, um, they're sitting on their couch. I didn't drive in the snow. I'm drinking my cocoa. Love each other. We're good. Okay. Um, Says, Jesus says, my command is this, love each other. And then he says, as I have loved you, so you love one another. And then he says, "Great," and we love this verse, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. We can read that and go, Jesus did that. What I find profound is Jesus hadn't done it yet. He knew what he was talking about. The disciples didn't. He knew the pain he would endure. He knew the cross was on its way. He knew he would face the torture that he faced, but out of his great love for his disciples, and I don't just mean the 12 in this context, He's talking to the 12 in our context. Jesus, if he were standing here today, would say greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for one's friends, for the people I care about. And of course, we know we're talking about the issue of the sins of the whole world. For every one of us, that's a personal verse. Jesus saying it to you, if it were just one-on-one, having a conversation. I'm laying down my life for you. But the reminder Jesus is bringing up in this is what does it look like for you to lay down your life for others? It's part of what I prayed on Christmas Eve when I said, who are the people that you love the most? Who are the people closest to you? And my prayer the other night was, what does it look like for you to prayerfully love them well? Because having people that you and I are close to and are, are gifted with, that, that's, I mean, we should be humbled by those kind of relationships but we also should be looking through the lens of what does it look like for me to love them well? Because I don't wanna take it for granted that I have people that care deeply about me and I care deeply about them. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And then verse 15, I love this verse. I know I call you servants. A servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. That, this is huge, by the way. Jesus being a rabbi would have in that culture always been above them. And, and there would have been no qualms about Jesus putting himself on a pedestal because that was commonplace in, in that day. That's why part of the, the angst of, I mentioned earlier Pharisees, and Paul was a Pharisee, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, teachers of the law, they were constantly putting themselves on pedestals. And everybody was like, that's how it goes. I mean, once you reach a certain place in life, you're on a pedestal. Once you reach, in our world, it looks different because things are, are not necessarily that way. But if, if you're, you know, it doesn't really equate. But this idea of, of, well, you're on a pedestal because you have a certain education. You're on a pedestal because you have a certain title. You're on a pedestal because of, of, of where you're at in life and sometimes the system that you were born into. And yet Jesus says, instead, I have called you friends. Jesus over and over and over is leveling the playing field and the things he taught. The way that he gave women the kind of respect that they have. And even today, that's made it, you might not understand this, and some, I, I guess some of you read about it, the way that women have been elevated 
because of what Christ taught and people began to live by. And it did, well, we didn't always get it right. Our history is an ugly history and I hate that part. But nevertheless, as you look at today, when Jesus at another point, uh, excuse me, when Paul at another point talks about the idea that you and I cry out to Abba, that's not like a band what, from the 80s, not 70s, right? We go, oh, that's that weird band from the, okay. Abba, you know what it means? It doesn't just mean father. Yeah, it means daddy. And it, it, was, it was Paul's way of putting intimate words to who God is to people. Again, revolutionary. So when Jesus says, you're friends, he's leveling the plane. When Paul says God is not just this far off Lord, or, or and by the way, in the Old Testament, when, when God was referred to by the nation of Israel, they called him Yahweh, but they wouldn't even say it because it was such a sacred word. So they would spell it out, Y-H-W-Y. The word we would say is Yahweh, but they wouldn't even say because it was so, you don't. Oftentimes we swap that word for Lord, by the way. Another teaching for another day. But, but as you get into what Jesus is saying here, he's bringing God from a place of far off and, and, and high and exalted, and he still is, but to a place where God says, I'm meeting you where you're at. That's why the Christmas story is amazing. That's why when Matthew brings up the prophecy about Emmanuel, God with us, when John opens his gospel, within the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, Jesus being the word in us. Paul saying we cry out Abba, he's talking about when we pray, we can cry out, Daddy, I need you. And it's like a little kid who's reaching up for their parent because they have a deep need. There's a brokenness or something, they're reaching out. It's the same picture. So when Jesus talks about this idea of friend, it's, it's this, it's not God is way out there. No, no, God is right here too. And he's respected and revered and we should have this awe and, 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 and reverence for him. But there's also a relationship where he's our dad, our daddy. And that can sound weird, but it is biblical. So then he goes on, I'm gonna wrap this up here. He says, you didn't chose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go in here. He says it again, bear fruit, fruit that will last. And again, you can ask whatever you want uh, in uh, my name and the father will give it to you. Not the blank slate thing, ask Lamborghinis and million dollars. But when we have the heart in the right place, you'd be amazed in prayer what God can do. And then he says, he ends up with, this is my command, love each other. Why do I bring this up today? Absolutely because it's December 26th and we're putting away all the trinkets and decor and all this stuff at some point in the next week or two. It's all going away, but it doesn't mean our faith goes away. And I know we know this, but I wanna challenge you with some homework as we end today. The abide the remain, the make yourself at home needs to resonate in us because Jesus constantly gave himself, we can go and do likewise. So, and I, I, I send my notes to my wife and some of our team members go, hey, give me some input. And my wife sent me an email back pretty quickly. And that's a good thing. But, but here's what she, and I'm, I'm reading what she typed. And I was like, I'm not, I can't say it better. I don't wanna say it better. She needs credit for this and I appreciate it. So if you're online and you're listening to her in a minute here, she, this is hers, not mine. Anyway, these next couple of weeks, as you pack up Christmas physically and you pack up 2021 emotionally or spiritually, be mindful, and here it is, of unpacking and making your home in Jesus. It won't happen by accident. Okay, homework's coming. Put out physical reminders of him. And in our home, this is what it looks like. Chalkboards, verses on mirrors, a Bible and a notebook at the ready. 
build in habits that are reminders that you live in Christ. And I love how she put this. Christmas is supposed to be a reset and reminder of where it all begins for us as Christians. The Christmas season has not ended. It's just been renewed and begun again. Christmas was a reminder that Christ is God with us. Be sure as you pack it all up, God is with you in every moment and every task. A few days from now, we start a new reading plan as a church. We always put it out there on our app now and on on the website. But I wanna encourage you to pick up the reading plan as we begin on January 1. And by the way, we're putting out a plan that's monthly. So it's not just the whole year because some of you guys go, July and now I'm six months behind. Um, We're gonna do it every month because it might help some people kind of stay with it. Or at least if you kind of get behind on to go, all right, new month, I'm gonna jump in. Um, So for instance, signing up and, and committing yourself to the reading plan. January 1. Like my wife mentioned, like I said, this is in our house. Things that we put on mirrors or, or these chalkboards that we have that we write verses on sometimes. Ways that we're reminded. One of the things when we get up in the morning and, and, and her and I get up, we're kind of around the same time. Sometimes she's a little earlier, sometimes me. But the first thing we do is we get up and, and we, we get out our, our Bibles. And she's got a study book that she reads and some journal things and, and take some time just to, to, do, to get those things out at the ready is what she means. Like don't, if you tuck it away, it's easy to forget. Put it underneath something and bury it in other books, easy to forget, at the ready. What would it look like for you to remain in Christ, even as you pack up the manger scene? Even as you pack up, you know, whatever else is for the Christmas season and, and pack up Christmas, we know we're not packing up Christ. And I know that's super basic, but what does it look like for you to remain, for you to abide, for you to make your home in Christ and make his word at home in you? Father, today I pray you would remind us that as we, as we put stuff back in the seasonal boxes, as some of us maybe feel the lull of, ah, it's over and I love the Christmas season and all that stuff, I pray that there would still be a deep-seated joy in us because you're with us every moment. I pray you would quicken us to what those reminders might look like. I remember note cards on my dash in my car with verses on them. I remember my Bible in my passenger seat because when I would go and deliver pizza and I had a lunch break, I'd go out in my little orange truck and I'd get out my Bible during my 30-minute lunch break and just do some reading. Maybe it's, it, it's certain things that, that, that the way that our cars are wired, if it's Apple CarPlay or it's an old school plug in the, 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 the auxiliary jack or whatever and it's putting on a podcast or, or, or some, some music that, that lends us to worship rather than just you know, whatever mix we have. Maybe it's the chalkboard. Maybe it's the Bible and journal book or study book at the ready in our homes on a coffee table right when we get up. But Father, help us to be guilty of John 15, seven. Make your home in me and make my words at home in you. Lord, thank you for a beautiful day with snow. I pray for safety and all that. But I pray that as we leave and go about what we're ever gonna do, that God, we remain, we abide in you, that it's a daily relationship that you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.